Hello again and welcome to another episode of Real Talk with RJ. If this is your first time listening, please don't forget to like and subscribe and follow so you know exactly when we release brand new episodes. Also, don't forget to share if you like what you hear. Share it with everyone you know. You know, in today's society, we are looking at an embarrassing norm that is you can't say anything about anyone who's transgender. If you do, you're a transphobe, you lose your job, you lose your license, you lose all the money that you've been working your whole entire life to make. You lose all that. If you make a gay joke, you get canceled and removed from any obstacle that or any platform that you, you know, you decided that you wanted to be on. If you make a black joke and you're not black, they cancel you, they label you as a racist and this and that. If you make any if you make a joke about Latinos and you know you're uh, you're completely racist against Latinos, yet you don't hear any news outlets, news platforms talking about the blatant racism that is going on against white people. You see a fight happen between a person that happens to be black and another person that happens to be white, and it is very likely that the white person is not going to use any racial slurs in this argument or this, this fight for various reasons. Maybe they don't want to be labeled as a racist. Um, maybe they don't want to get beat up. Maybe they don't want to get jumped or whatever the case may be. But for some reason, it is not surprising and it's quite common when the non-white person will be the person that uses or points out the race of the white person saying you know i'll kick your white butt all here in this are you entitled white person or white privilege this and that it's interesting that the non-white or the non-whites are the ones most likely to list or identify the race of the white person and utilize that as a means to insult or uh, degrade the individual when a lot of these instances that happen have nothing to do with race, they just like maybe the person is in an argument with one individual because they took a parking spot or they cut in line or something, something rude or something um, unfair that was done between the two parties, but it had nothing to do with race. It was just the people that did it. But then it becomes a racial issue because one person who happens to not be white will start making these racial accusations. And we're seeing on TikTok, left and right, we're seeing on YouTube, left and right, and all these other forms of social media, where people are out there making horrible statements about white people, and they're not so much as getting a warning. They're not getting any uh, um, uh, consequences for doing these things. There are people literally on TikTok and in various forms of social media who are telling the entire white community to unalive themselves, that it will make the world a better place. And they're not being labeled as racist. The definition of racism is not monopolized by, you know, people of one race. Racism means, by definition, it is where a person looks down, or it's the act of looking down upon a race or being antagonistic toward an entire racial category of individuals. So this, this illusion, or excuse me, this delusion that black people can't be racist, that's false. Anyone can be racist. Anyone can be racist. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. Anyone can be racist. And in fact, I'm willing to say that just about everybody has some level of racism in them because we're, we're around it so much. You know, we see stereotypes so much that we have adopted certain, certain degrees of racism. We may not be uh, antagonistic toward an entire race, but because of racial norms that we experience very often and lots of uh, mis, um, misconceptions about various races, 
people respond differently. For example, how many times have you seen a non-black person walking down the street and when they see a group of black guys stay, you know, standing in one area, they either cross the street on, and walk on the opposite side of them or they hold the purse? That's not just white people doing that. There's other black women that do the same thing. It's a group of guys that you don't know. Just standing in front of a, a store or a liquor store, you don't know what they're doing. So your, your survival techniques come in. You don't want to be victimized in anything like that. But these are the societal norms that people um, adhere to. Doesn't mean these people are going to do anything to them. But that comes from social conditioning. I've seen black women do that with, with black guys standing in front of a liquor store. I've seen white women do it. I've seen Latinas do it. I've seen people of all races respond the exact same way when they're, when they're walking up uh, around um, a bunch of black guys just standing in front of uh, a liquor store. I've seen it with my own eyes. Now, I'm not saying that that only happens to black people. I've only seen that in my personal experience with black guys standing in front of a liquor store or loitering or something like that in front of a, um, in front of a business establishment. And people will try to walk around like to the opposite side so they don't have to walk close to them or walk through them. You know, for whatever reason that is, maybe it's just because the environment is an urban or ghetto environment. Maybe that's why they're responding that way. Maybe the, the stuff that they see on TV is the reason why they see, they see it that way. But the fact is, is that this isn't just white people responding this way. This is people in general responding this way to that kind of act. So I said all that to say that everyone has certain racial um, stereotypes in their mind. And again, you don't adopt a racial stereotype when it's a rare occurrence. You adopt racial stereotypes because these things happen to be more common than you realize. You can't say, oh, I, uh, you know, all black people are pilots. You can't say that. I use that example all the time because when you think of a pilot, if I tell you, imagine a pilot, nine times out of 10, the image that pops in your mind is a white guy, you know, in a pilot suit. Nine times out of 10, that's what you're going to think. Unless you were a pilot and you happen to be, you know, like the bloodline of, of red tails who are all black pilots. You know, if you're, if you're one of those people, then that's going to be, you know, because that word has a certain type of bond with you. But there are stereotypes that happen. There are positive stereotypes and there are negative stereotypes. It's just the kind of society that we're conditioned in. But the thing is, is that racism is actually taught. It's not something that you grow up and just get for yourself. It's something that's taught from society. But what I do not like, one of the things that I do not uh, appreciate or tolerate, which is what I use my platform for, is biasness. I do not agree with um, rules for thee and not for me. I don't agree with that. I believe rules are applicable to everybody. So if we're going to call racism out, I think that we should call racism out, period. It's not okay to, to speak racistly, or racistly if that is a word. It's not okay to speak in a racist manner against white people. Just like it's not okay for to speak against any other race in, uh, in a form of racism. Racism is wrong in all of its facets, regardless of what color your skin is and regardless of what color their skin is. I talk, like my mom was actually talking to me. She's a, she's a civil rights activist and, and I, I love her, dude. She's, she's my best friend. And, but we have some really good conversations. And one of the things she was talking about is that when the Japanese people um, during, you know, during Pearl Harbor, when the Japanese Americans were on, you know, on, Ameri on American soil, they were all gathered up and put in a concentration camp. And then after the war was over, the Japanese that were affected by that got reparations. And she's like, well, how come they got reparations? And how come, you know, you know, none of the blacks got reparations after slavery? And I, you know, I thought about that for a second. I was like, well, you know, I, I think 
one reason why is because the people who actually were victimized by the concentration camps, because we're at war with Japan, you can't risk having any other Japanese people walking around because you don't know who's a spy and who's not. So the only way to protect from, you know, spies and, and sleeper cells is to put them all, you know, in one area and then vet them to see who's who. You know, and that's just kind of a our country versus your country thing. It just happens to that. At the end of the day, people are always going to revert to who they can trust. And if we're at war with another country, it, that the same thing will happen to any other country. If we go to war against, um, like, it, let's say, like, the entire Muslim world goes to war against Americans, I'm pretty sure the exact same thing is going to happen, you know, to all the Muslims that are in America. They'll be put on watch list. They'll be put in concentration camps. Something like that would happen because we don't know we're at war with this enemy if we go to war with all the chinese i'm pretty sure all the chinese in america will be put in some type of controlled area just to make sure that it's just that's just a natural response we're at war with people that look like this that act like this have these belief values and are from this country therefore we need to make sure that we get everyone so that they can't hurt us from the inside that's a natural response it's a natural survival technique a natural survival response it's not about oppressing that race it's about hey, we're at war with these people and they all look this way, so we need to make sure that um, that we protect from anyone who does look this way. We can't, you know, if they start hitting us from the inside, then, you know, we're going to fall faster. So that's just a natural thing. So I, I was telling her about that, and I was like, well, those Japanese people were the ones that were affected by it, so naturally they should get reparations for what they lost. But no black person alive today was ever a slave or is the child of a slave. No, no, no black American is, is, a, um, is the child or a slave themselves. No white person alive has owned a slave or is a child of someone who has owned a slave. Maybe down in the direct de descendancy, like way down the lines. But again, for anyone who knows my show, I've talked about the, this unknown thing that you never hear about in school. All the years I was going to school, I never learned this fact. They don't teach you this in school, that there are almost as many black slave owners as there were white slave owners back in the 1800s. And in fact, the very first documented slave owner was a black man. He attempted to take someone to court over the issue of slavery to try to sue, but because blacks were not able to testify or speak in court, he had no case. There was no witness. There was no plaintiff because blacks could not um, testify in court back in that time. Now, and then I started really doing research and I started thinking, I said, you know what, mom? A lot of times people, especially in America, they blame white people for slavery. They always want to talk about, oh, if it weren't for white people, we wouldn't be slaves. And I told them, mom, that's not true. That's not true. We were, our, our ancestors were slaves way before they got to America or Portugal or to, to the Spanish. This is not unique to the black community either. The Native Americans were enslaving each other. They were enslaving weaker tribes and enslaving each other and selling them out to other dominant tribes and sacrificing them to their gods and this was not this the native americans did it the ancient uh uh inhabitants of of mexico the aztec maya all the native american tribes are involved in enslaving weaker tribes the hebrews of the old testament did it they enslaved weaker hebrews and weaker egyptians and stuff like that they in, in slavery has been a thing but every time you talk about slaves these days everyone auto, automatically monopolizes it as oh black people but african slaves we were kings. We were rulers. No, we weren't. The kings and rulers are the ones who sold us into slavery or ancestors. Excuse me. Not us. I wasn't a slave. They, they were actually gathering like the, the dominant African tribes were enslaving weaker African tribes. 
that's actually what the, the movie the woman king is actually about not the movie but the, the story behind that so um yeah they completely changed history make it seem like these people were out trying to free slaves no that was one of the number one i think is the dahomey the dahomey tribe they were one of the uh, the largest slave trading tribes out there they would they didn't care about freeing their people they wanted to enslave their people with all their heart that was their number one prerogative that was how they made their money that was how they made their living and it was let's go get them we're going to make money at their expense there's still slavery going on today in africa so the the white people that went to africa after first the white the white settlers that were here were buying slaves from the spanish and from the portuguese and they went straight to the source and went to africa but they didn't just go kidnap people. They bought people who were already kidnapped and they brought them to America. And then other people who never left this continent, who just bought the slaves here. It's not too different from buying a pair of Nikes. It's no secret that Nike has a bunch of sweatshops that have extremely abhorrent working conditions where people will even try to jump out of buildings to, to unalive themselves, you know, uh, rather than work in these, these sweatshops for very, very little money. We're not forcing these people to do that. But by um, purchasing a pair of Nikes, you're contributing to that. So by, by, by purchasing a slave, which was a lot of money back then, these very poor people didn't have slaves. Like you see in the movies, these very, very poor slave owners, you didn't, that didn't happen. That wasn't a thing. You know, it, slaves are expensive. You, you don't see someone who's broken homeless driving around in, in a Lamborghini, a brand new Lamborghini. They can't afford it. You know, um, so buying a slave was not a very cheap thing. You, you couldn't just sit there and buy a slave for like three dollars. Like them things, the slaves were like three hundred, six hundred, you know, a couple hundred dollars. And that was a lot of money back then. So the very wealthy were the ones getting those slaves. And there are almost as many black slave, slave owners as white slave owners. Now, when we want to talk about this, this ridiculous curriculum that people are trying to shove down our kid's throat of critical race theory. That is extremely racist, but we have so many, so many members of the black community that are out there trying to attribute critical race theory as something that is, um, something that's true. They're like, oh, well, you know, blacks are disadvantaged because of the color of their skin. Like that's such a stupid thing to tell kids that you're disadvantaged because you look a certain way. That's BS. And to say that white people are inherently racist just because of the color of their skin is also BS. Because black people didn't sign the Emancipation Proclamation. Not a single black signature is on there. That was signed by white people who believed in the freedom and equality of, of, of blacks. Hey, Katie, welcome to the show. Hey, you're sounding like me. <laughs> I hope that's a compliment. <laughs> it, I think it is. <laughs> um, I am a certified social studies teacher. Oh, outstanding. I am unable to work in the public sector of education because I was teaching exactly what you're talking about. You're teaching I got truth. From teaching. And it's so, so sad. It's so sad that, that teachers can't tutor. teach. <laughs> now I'm a private tutor that talk, talks about all this stuff. And I've been talking on my podcast about this type of stuff, trying to get the information out there. And anytime that you push against, especially critical race theory, but anything that has to do with race that isn't falling in line, that, that all black people are victims and they're 
poor little black people aren't able to own a phone and find a library and go to the DMV and get a get a freaking ID. Like it is so racist and so backwards. And to assume that somebody because of the color of their skin is innately good or bad. I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm a millennial. I was raised that that's literally not how the world should work. Yeah, it's how some people think, but it's not how the world should work. And all of this stuff that's being pushed on students, it's creating the issues that you're seeing. Absolutely. It, it is literally doing the opposite of what they're espousing that they're trying to get rid of. I'm sorry. When I grew up in a small rural town in the 90s and early 2000s, there were two black families that lived in our town and went to our schools. Literally no one cared that they were black. They were there doing, their parents were doing their work. The kids were doing their schoolwork. They played sports. They were in musicals. They literally did everything else and nobody cared that they were black. Nobody cared. Nobody cared. They never said anything about the rest of us being white. They, their parents moved them to our school district because it was a decent school district. And that's it. There, there was nothing about it. And to see everything that's going on right now and it's not just school-aged children so most people think of like high school whenever they talk about critical race theory but elementary school and clear down to babies now like they literally have the anti-racist baby books <laughs> and there's there's a study that i saw um a couple months ago a new study came out people paid money to study whether newborns could be racist and you know what they found Mind-blowing shit. Are you ready? Ready. Babies who are dependent for their survival on others trust people that look like their parents more than people that don't. Wow. They paid lots of money to find that. that, (laughs) And they said that, and their their deduction from babies wanting to be around their primary caregivers was the babies can be innately racist that racism is a a biological dna level thing that white people need to get over wow that's 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 Let's really sad Hispanic babies or the black or the black babies that also just want to be around people that look like their moms or their primary caregivers yeah if you have a white kid that has a that has a hispanic nanny not to be stereotypical but you know how that goes yeah like that baby will prefer that Hispanic nanny and people that look like her more than they will their white parents because that's their primary caregiver. It doesn't matter. You give a black baby to a white family, that black baby will want to be around white people more because that's where their food comes from. That's the people that change their diapers and love them and, and read them books at night. Of course, you're going to want to be around people that make you feel good. And you're where you want kids to be wary of people they don't know, no matter what their skin tone is. I agree a hundred percent. Anyways, I just wanted to get on and get that out. Well, I appreciate it. I was laughing and clapping, and I was like, I need to get on and let him know he's, like, right over the target with this. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing that. No problem. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. You know, that that's really interesting, too. That uh, um, It's actually an animalistic need as well, because if you, if you are hatching an egg for a baby bird, when that baby, the first face that baby bird sees it latches on to and identifies that this is my my parent, this is my caregiver, this is the individual that's going to help me through life, which 
we automatically say mama, you know, because we see the cartoons say mama, mama. But an animal will latch on the first face that they see. And so it's natural that a baby would do the same thing because this is the this is the most familiar face. This is the face that they see often. So when you have a nanny, regardless of any race, it's very common for nannies to be Latinas. It's a very common thing. Um, it, it doesn't make it, it like for anyone out there going, well, that's that's very insensitive. Like change the channel. Turn off. I'm not going to be sensitive to your needs. I'm going to be honest. You go into a hotel, depending on what city you're in, depending on what state you're in, you go into a hotel and you see the housekeepers. Very often the housekeepers are Latina. It doesn't mean that only them, only uh, Latinas clean hotels, but it's very common to see uh, housekeepers in, uh, that are Latina, in, especially in California. When I went to Virginia um, for military school, um, I, I went to a hotel because I was staying over there. I was actually staying off base because I, I was uh, married at the time. So I was staying off base um, and I got a hotel that the, uh, that the military paid for. So when they knocked on my door and they said housekeeping, I fully and wholeheartedly expected to see a Latina on the other side of the door when I opened the door. And I saw nothing but sisters, nothing but black women. And it, it caught me off guard because the norm I'm, I'm accustomed to is Latinas are the ones that I've always seen as housekeepers. No matter what hotel I went to in California, the hotels have always had Latinas for the housekeepers. Every once in a while, I would see a white woman there, but for the most part, it was always Latinas. And um, when I went to to uh, to Virginia and I saw nothing but black women there, I was like, "Wow!" It caught me off guard. But it it I didn't realize how stereotypical my perspective was on that on that subject until I had you know realized, "Oh, wow." There's other people that do this too, because it's easy for us to fall into a stereotype without, without being deliberately aware. You know, we're not trying to, we fall into stereotypes because these are the norms. Growing up in the hood, I can always tell when I'm, you know, when I'm in a predominantly Latino environment or predominantly black environment, I just look at the graffiti. I know that's not politically correct to say that, but you can see the graffiti and you know pretty much what kind of area you're in. If you see a nice, clean area, and I live in California, I live in Los Angeles, I see this every day. If I'm out there seeing the number 13 all over the wall, chances are the majority are like young Latinos. There's a bunch of Southsiders and stuff like that that, got, that are in this area. This is, the, uh, this is the area they control, or they, they manipulate, or this is the area they frequent. There's lots of Latinos. You start seeing piñatas out. You start seeing lots of Latino food uh, restaurants. You start hearing uh, banda music and stuff. You can see, you can tell what kind of culture is the majority out here. But if you go to a quiet, well-kept area where the lawns are mowed very low, it's very peaceful. You don't really see anyone outside except for on like on Friday and Saturday walking around. It's likely you're in a Jewish area. You know, there's or it's, it's a Jewish area or it's a um, it's an Asian area, um, and also these qualities are very, very well known to, to upper-class white individuals as well. They don't tend to destroy their, their cities like we do. And we mean the Latino and black cultures. We tend to destroy our stuff a lot more than other people do. You can disagree with that all you want, but the facts are right there. You go to an all-black area, more often than not, there's broke-down cars on the side of the streets, there's drugs that are rampant, and people can easily say, well, who put those drugs there? The government put those drugs there. You're absolutely right. The government back in the early 90s or in the late 80s, they put drugs in, in black neighborhoods. But who sold those drugs to those people? 
it wasn't the government. It was our own people. Our own people, even to this day, our own people are feeding drugs to families and destroying our people. They're destroying our community, yet we keep blaming the white man. So often we go, oh, the white man's responsible for slavery. No, Africans are. Africans are responsible for black slaves. That's the end of that argument. That's 100% factual. The white people that bought slaves back in that time, they were just buying a commodity. Just like the Spanish were, just like other African tribes were, and just like the Portuguese were. They were buying a commodity, just like we buy, we buy Nikes that actually help support the mistreatment of Chinese sweatshop workers. We are buying a commodity, nothing more, nothing less. That's how we want to see it because it makes us feel better when we just look at these incredibly beautiful looking Nike shoes rather than seeing the sweat and sacrifice and mistreatment that, was, that went into making those shoes. It makes us feel better to realize, oh, I got my new iPhone. I'm looking so good. I love my, I love my phone. But you don't realize the type of mistreatment and suffering and, and, and horrible work conditions that people had to endure to make your phone. We don't think about that because it makes us feel better to not feel guilty and not focus on what went into making what we have. We, we look at Latinos that are out there struggling and, and, and working their butts off and waiting for hours and hours in the hot sun in front of a Home Depot looking for jobs. We go, oh, you guys need to go out and get a job. Some people don't have the luxuries that natural born citizens take for granted. And I say that as a veteran. Anyone who's willing to sacrifice three days walking out in the desert with one gallon of water trying to survive just to get an opportunity to be better and live a better life in this country, that's the American dream, in my opinion. Anyone who's here to, to just take, take, take and not give anything, whether they're American or not, I think they should be kicked out of the country. I think anyone who just wants to take from America without giving anything back and who wants to destroy and tear down this amazing country, I think their citizenship should be revoked and they should be exiled. Put them to a socialist country or some other communist country and let's see how much they will love America then. Because I'm telling you, they're going to learn the Pledge of Allegiance. They're going to learn the Star Spangled Banner. They're going to be out there, hey, I'm an American. You can't treat me this way. We're entitled. If we go to any other country and we get arrested in any other country, I'm telling you, even, even the very far liberal left, anyone who, like these extremists that go, I hate America, I hate America. If they get arrested in Mexico or any other country, the first thing they're going to be doing is like, I'm an American. You can't treat me like this. I have rights. Right before they remind you, you're not in America. Your rights mean BS. They mean nothing to us. And you're like, we'll call the American consulate. I would love to hear one of the conversations. I would, I would love for those conversations to go away. Aren't you this person? You're with Antifa? Yeah, you, you don't like her country, remember? So we're not going to help you. You owe me. You can't do this to me. I'm an American. No, no, your citizenship is revoked. Have a nice day. Enjoy yourself. Bye. <laughs> and that would be really funny if, if, you know, consequences were fair. And people who say they hate this country actually didn't get rights from this country. That'd be actually nice. Maybe people will start appreciating the stuff that we take for granted on a daily basis, a daily basis, like turning on our faucet and knowing that clean water is going to come out of there. When there's people out in the world that have to walk miles to go pick up water, that's not even clean, but that's the only water source. They have to go miles and fill up multiple big jugs, put those jugs on their heads and in their arms and their backs, have their kids walking out there with them just so they can walk miles back to their house to boil that water. So they're walking those miles without water themselves because they can't drink that water because it's dirty. 
So they have to boil the water and make it fresh so they can have water for a couple of days. But we just walk up, turn on the faucet. Even, even the homeless that live by fire hydrants, they can turn on those fire hydrants and get water out of them, knowing that it's safe to drink. We take so much for granted. The biggest reason why they want, the biggest reason why the, the narrative right now, right now and the government are trying to push us into this frenzy of white people are racist inherently and we need to say whatever we want about racism to say anything we want against white people and, and now be divisive and put them down. Now it's about getting back. It's about revenge. Now they get to know what it feels like. Uh, the very large majority of people out there that are being persecuted are not racist and have never been racist. They don't want us divided because there's so much we can learn from these other cultures. Do you really think that the owner of Home Depot, the, the, the president and founder and CEO of Home Depot, do you really think that he only associates with white people? Absolutely not. That man got to where he is today by associating with Chinese, Koreans, Arabs, Latinos, blacks, whites, all over the board. That's how you become greater is by associating with all walks of life. You have to be versatile. You have to be expansive. You have to be willing to, to cross board, like cross lines, cross borders, metaphorical borders and cultural uh, barriers and, and try to see from other people's perspectives. It gives you a better, well-rounded uh, perspective of things. The greatest real estate agents out there are the Chinese. They know the real estate game. And one of my good friends works in multi-billion dollar uh, real estate corporations. He was a controller, the, uh, the accountant for these places. And he knows the titans of the real estate agency or the real estate world are the Chinese. They know what they're doing and they know what they're doing very well. So if you really want to be a titan, it's, it benefits you to learn from them as well. But if you're like, oh, I don't want anything to do with them because they're different, you're never, you're going to become a plateau. No one gets anywhere they, you know, anywhere to the sky on your own. You have to, you need somebody, you need a team. You need people there helping you on this path. And as long as you see color, you're only cheating yourself. There's a reason why, uh, why, um, like look at Budweiser or the Bud Light slogan where Dylan Mulvaney, the, the trans woman who happens to have everything biologically male about him, including his voice, but he identifies as a woman. He's counting days. He's like, I'm on day 367, day six, three, 400 or whatever of being a lady or, or being a girl. But his very first day, day one of being a girl, it was nothing but insulting stereotypical things about women. I wrote a letter that I didn't send. I bought clothes I couldn't afford. Um, like, it was completely insulting, misogynistic, and very, very anti-feminist. It was very horribly um, stereotypical against women, but nobody said anything. Why? Because he's trans, and they didn't want to be labeled as a transphobe. Don't you notice that one side automatically labels you as homophobic or transphobic as soon as you disagree with something they're doing? Like people out there saying, I don't believe that trans women should be in biological women sports. It's not fair because of the very... The basic concept, if these women were to start taking steroids, they would get immediately disbanded. They'd be suspended. They'd have fines. They'd be completely taken out of there. Yet a trans woman with a biological advantage can come in and play these sports, no consequence. And people are saying, I don't think that's fair because there's a biological difference. And they're like, oh, you're transphobic. They immediately try to shame you by saying you're something phobic or racist because you don't want to agree with them. 
And when you're talking about how unhealthy it is to be severely overweight, then people go, oh, you're fatophobic. No. First of all, phobia has nothing to do with prejudice. It only has to do with fear of. And it's not being fear of someone who's severely overweight. It's saying, hey, this is not healthy. Like, for example, like, let's, say, let's say you look at pornography. Like, out of a 24-hour period, you spend 16 hours on pornography and playing with yourself and masturbating. That's not healthy. Your social skills are going to be completely destroyed. You're not going to see the opposite sex or the sex that attracts you as people. You'll see them as objects for your gratification, and you're more likely to commit a, a, sexually, a sexual assault crime because of that level of addiction to sex. That's a reality. It has nothing to do with pornophobia. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. I think I just created a word. Pornophobia. Start saying that and start shaming people like, you, you love porn. You're so sick. You're pornophobic. You're pornophobic. No, leave me alone. You're pornophobic. You start making up names and calling somebody something whenever they disagree with you. It's working for them. <laughs> like they just shame you into, into agreeing with them rather than actually we're focusing on what you're saying. To say that it's not fair that trans women compete in biologically, biological women's sports that's not fair at all. It, should, it is completely wrong. It should not be allowed. It is nothing about stopping transgender athletes from, uh, from competing. They should have their own league, the Trans Athletes League. They should have their own league to compete against each other. Let them do that. They want to compete. We're not stopping that. We're just saying that it's not fair to put biological men in women's sports. It has nothing to do with suppressing the trans community. What I have noticed, though, is that the lesbian uh biological lesbian bisexual and gay communities are actually getting really upset about the transgender community like hijacking the entire movement and making it all about them rather than the entire community there's a big divide right now amongst that community and um they're actually there's a lot of them actually making lots of videos on tiktok and youtube um talking about segregating themselves from the trans and queer community so it's really interesting and it's also i i don't I never see like just gay, normal gay people going in and pushing agendas. No, normal gay, normal gay people is not a good way to say that. Um, what I mean by normal gay people is like gay men and lesbian women. Like I don't see them going to go indoctrinate children. I see these woke new pronoun people going into indoctrinate children. I see drag queens going to indoctrinate and sexualize children. Like that's, that's pretty scary. Because if I were evil, if I were a very evil person, think about this, just listen to this, uh, this analogy. If I were a very evil person and I wanted to manipulate entire like, culture, entire people, who's the most pure among them? The children. Because the children are the most teachable, they're the most moldable. They don't have preconceived notions. They're easily swindled. If you tell children that pigs are going to be flying up with unicorns next to them. They're going to go outside looking for them. You tell an adult that unicorns are coming to, uh, <laughs> you tell an adult that Jesus is coming. Even though many Christians know that to be true, other people are like, yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. Jesus. They still don't believe that it's because we are more skeptic. And then the, the nonsense about teaching kids that, oh, well, these children should be able to um, choose what gender they want to identify as. 
the, how ridiculous is that? That the same laws, the same lawmakers that are out here saying that you have to be at least 21 years old to drink alcohol because you're not mature enough and old enough to drink alcohol before 21 years old. You're not old enough to consent to having sex until you're 18 years old, depending on what state, because you're not mature enough and you don't have the mental capacity to make a life-changing decision to start having sex with someone until you're 18 years old. You can't, uh, you can't register to vote until you're 18 years old. You can't enlist in the military until you're at least 17 years old. You can't buy cigarettes until you're at least 18 years old. You're not mature enough to do these things until, until you are this minimum age. Yet you are mature enough to say, I believe I am this gender at six years old? How come none of the news outlets are out there talking about the people who are detransitioning, who have transitioned fully, got the full surgery, medical or like surgery or, or excuse me, hormone blockers, et cetera, and they regret it because they're like, I am now a permanent patient of the pharmaceutical companies. I have lots of medications that I have to take on a daily basis. For the rest of my life, I have to take these medications. My sex drive has been significantly depleted. I have all these complications with my body responding to the surgeries the way they are. You don't hear about the news medias or news platforms talking about this stuff because it goes against the narrative. But yet they're saying, we call it gender affirming care. Doctors are telling people, yeah, this is exactly what you want. Let's get you one, some hormone blockers. And then, you know, just see if this is what you want. And people are like, well, the doctors are saying it so they know what they're doing. They, would you trust a used car salesman? The whole purpose of a used car salesman is to sell you a car. They want to get rid of the cars. They're not going to tell you the entire truth about that used car, about how many accidents it actually was in. They're not going to tell you that this car has a, has a history of breaking down because it's, it's made from this uh, manufacturer. They're not going to tell you everything you need to know and all the risk, the good and the bad about this car. They're just trying to sell you a car so they give you, they're going to give you the highlights of the best parts of it. So what makes you think that a doctor who is getting paid tens of thousands of dollars to do a surgery on you is going to be honest and say, you know what, this may not be what you want. Maybe you're suffering from uh, gender dys, uh, dys, uh, morphia or dysphoria, excuse me. Maybe you should go see a, a clinical psychiatrist and, and talk to them about this and maybe try being happy with yourself first. And when you're 18 years old, if this is what you truly want after you're 18 years old, then go ahead and let's come back and let's, let's work on this. They're not going to tell you that. Why are they going to turn down making tens of thousands of dollars on one surgery from you? You're a customer. This is what they do. Look at all the botched people out there who had all these different versions of plastic surgery where their lips look like they, that they're they're one sneeze away from blowing their lips off or their nose is like one cut away from, you know, having no nose <laughs> or looking like Michael Jackson's nose or, or like they have boobs that are, you know, if they hug somebody too tight, they're going to pop. There are plastic surgeons out there that do not care what you ask for. They're going to do it because they're getting paid tens of thousands of dollars to do it. There's a motive there. When, when, uh, when the Rona virus came out and started hitting everyone, they were pay the government was paying people $20,000. They're paying the hospitals $20,000 for each person diagnosed with that, with that illness. They're putting people on uh, ventilators and getting like $60,000 bonuses from the government. But then come to find out the ventilators were the things that were killing these people. And all these people that were like, wait a minute, my, my, uh, 
my relative, my brother, my sister, my cousin, whoever, the saying the cause of death is is related to to Rona. They had a drug overdose. That's how they passed away. They had a drug overdose from heroin, and it had nothing to do with the Rona. But they're not talking about that on news platforms. We are so brainwashed from all of these different stories coming in at us one or like from all these different directions that we can't focus on any one target and aim and shoot. If you have all these targets flying around at you at one time, you can't aim at them and shoot because your eyes keep moving from one target to another. They do not want blacks and whites united. They don't want anyone in whites united because the white culture is actually what established civilization in, in as far as like the, uh, the legal system was established in, in Europe, a European concept of, of the legal process and, and, uh, and court, uh, government, like all this stuff. Europeans founded it. The, the president, as opposed to a king, was something that America founded. And people started doing prime ministers and stuff like that as well. But like America did not want to make, or originally the Americans that, uh, that settled in America, they wanted George Washington to be the king. And George Washington's like, no, we, I'm not going to be a king. Uh, I'll, I'll settle for being president if that's what you guys really want. But I'm not going to be a king. We're not going to have anyone just dictate everything. We're running away from that now. So let's stop that nonsense of being a king and let's empower the people so that no one ever, you know, empowers them or no one ever takes the power from them. Let's make sure that they have the right to bear arms so that nobody ever overthrows them. They can always maintain the power of their government, which is interesting because the government's always trying to remove guns away from the citizens. What's the whole purpose? Because again, no matter how illegal guns are, guns are always going to be possessed by people who don't care about the law and want to get guns. No matter how harsh sexual assault crimes are, and the sentences are, there are always going to be people who are going to commit those, those egregious crimes. The laws don't dissuade people from doing something that they're bent on doing. The only thing that's going to end up happening by removing our guns is that the government is going to be more powerful than the people. And that was never the design of the forefathers. And now, rather than us fighting back, we're so much fighting against each other and putting down the white race. Have you noticed that when there's a, a, an injustice that happens against black people, the black community from like the police department, the fire department, or, or any other government department, when there's an injustice, are like uh, black people, you know, they go protest they, and there's, there's a riot, like the George Floyd riots and all that stuff like that that happened, but no laws were changed. But you don't see that kind of stuff happening against members of the white community. Why? Because they tend to understand a lot more how to use the legal system. They know how to take people to court a lot more. I'm not saying that black people don't, but it's more common amongst the white community. They understand the system a lot more. And people can say it was because they built it. Whether, whether they did or not, they understand it. So why wouldn't you want to align yourself with people who understand the things that are causing the most drama and, 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 and pain to our country? I'm telling you, the average white person is not waking up in the morning and thinking about how to lynch somebody from a tree. They're trying to go and make a living just like anyone else. I promise you, white people on average do not see color like we think they do. We're being told that they see color and only color. And in fact, if you, if you have a bunch of like right-wing uh, white people sitting in a picnic area, 
and a, and a black person comes in there, everyone's going to stop and go and look at that black person. It, it, assuming they have not had very much uh, interaction with, um, with black people before, but they're going to look because they, they don't understand how to, uh, you know, how to go forward from here. They may be ignorant as to what is okay and what's not okay. How do you make this person feel welcome? Is this person lost? Just like any, if the roles were reversed, if it was all black convention, you saw a white person walking in there, we're all going to do the same thing. So don't sit there and say like they're racist and we're not. No, we do the same thing. We may welcome them in too and say, hey, how you doing? But we're going to look and say, you realize where you are? Are you lost? Because one of these things doesn't look like the other. It's, it's just society. It's who we are. We cling to what looks familiar. We're social beings. We cling to what looks, looks familiar. If you go into a, if you, if you're a black person and you go into a room full of white people and you see one black person, you are likely going to go to that black person. 90% you're going to go to that black person unless you know one of the white people that you see. Because you're going to go to someone who is familiar to you. You're going to look for something with which you have in, with someone with, uh, with which you have something in common. And you're gonna go, oh, there's a brother. Let me go talk to them. Like, hey, man, we the only ones here. You're gonna start off with that conversation, and they're like, yeah, I guess we are. And then both of you guys are gonna feel stronger. You're gonna start going out and expanding and talking to other people. But you start from that feeling of safety of knowing that you're not alone. It's just society. That's who we are. That's not necessarily a flaw. It's just we don't have the, we're not a, a, accustomed to being in non-familiar environments not necessarily a racist thing just because there are some similarities in a situation doesn't mean that one plus one equals two in that situation sometimes one is not one plus one it's sometimes one plus two if a if a white cop shoots a black man it's not always a racist shooting and just for the record there are tons of white people that get shot unarmed every year but you never hear about any of them why because no one wants to watch that on the news. I know from personal experience when I was in Iraq, when I first got there, they started talking about all the good that we were doing on the news. People stopped watching. They stopped caring. So they started filming only when we shot back at people and they made us look like we were a bunch of bloodthirsty villains out there to kill every Iraqi that we can find. That was the story they started selling. But then all of a sudden people started opposing the war, started getting mad and calling us all kinds of names. That was the angle they started taking. That's what they started doing. That's what they wanted to do because drama sells and racism sells beautifully. Even though this country is not at all close to how racist it was back in Jim Crow, we are blindly and foolishly marching ourselves back to that era. We are segregating ourselves. Black-owned businesses. Let's go support Black-owned businesses. I don't. I do not support businesses that advertise black owned. Why? Because if your business is good enough to compete with other businesses, you don't need to put black owned. Your product is good enough to compete with anyone else. Don't beg me for a handout. I'll come there because your product is good and I want your product. I've never once seen Maria's Tacos or any other uh, um, Latino food stands say Mexican owned or Guatemalan owned. No, they just serve the food and people in there go and buy the stuff. And, ma and matter of fact, I don't think I've ever seen any, any other culture boast 
Indian owned or Asian owned or Chinese owned or they just have the name of their food and say Chinese food or, or you know, Jamaican food. Jamaican food's good. That's it. I don't need to see black owned. I've never seen Walmart boast being white owned or wh whoever owns the, 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 the corporate, whoever owns that corporation. I've never seen anyone up there boast that. We're so brainwashed into seeing color that we are tearing ourselves down rather than building ourselves up. If we would unite, we can do things that can change the world. The Million Man March, including the March to Selma, those things changed the world. And they were not only black people. There were Jews, there were Muslims, there were Catholics, there were Baptists, there were atheists, there were people from all walks of life, hippies, conservatives, liberals, moderates, everyone was marching for that common goal. And that changed laws. That changed society. That changed the world. That's why LBJ, President Lyndon B. Johnson, that's why he did that stuff, because the, the power of the world was focused on him, saying, are you going to keep letting black people get murdered and beat up like that, and they refuse to fight back? He had a lot of spotlight on him he didn't want. He, could, he tried bribing Dr. Martin Luther King, but Dr. Martin Luther King wouldn't take it. He's like, nope. Change the laws. Stop your people from hurting us. That was when America was racist. America's nowhere near that anymore. The only people oppressing us is not the government. It's ourselves. We are oppressing ourselves. We are oppressing ourselves by looking at the skin of a white person and thinking automatically that this person's racist. We are oppressing ourselves by thinking, oh, because I'm black, I'm more likely to get arrested. You tell yourself that, you're going to speak that into truth. You, tell, you teach your kids how to become successes. And that's that first and foremost, if you want to teach your kids that, that, or help your kids stay out of prison, if you're black, you want to help your kids stay out of prison, the greatest and, most, the greatest and strongest angle you can take is doing your absolute best to make sure their father is in their lives. Now, that is assuming for anyone, black or otherwise, that's assuming that the father is trying to be in their lives. I don't care how mean or bad that person was to you. Never use your kids as a weapon against your father, regardless of what race you are. Because the majority of people in prison did not have a father. That is a key factor that really determines whether or not a person will end up in prison or not is whether or not they had an active father. There are always exceptions to the rule. But the majority follow, they, the majority of prisoners in America fall into that category. They did not have an active father. There's so much more I can say about uh, the mistreatment of children, but I just wanted to focus on that instance. I wanted to focus on that. And if anybody else has anything they'd like to say or share, I'm, I'm definitely open up to, uh, to hearing your points of view on this matter. I just think that we are falling too much into this conundrum of or this this paradigm and this perspective of of looking at race and being racist to, uh, against white people and thinking that's okay for all the white people listening stop hating yourselves stop being brainwashed 
If you fall into this category, stop being brainwashed into apologizing for something you didn't do. You did not order a noose put on the neck of another black person. So stop apologizing. Your skin color is just as much a blessing as it is for anyone else. If it weren't for your ancestors bringing us here, if, you weren't, if it weren't for white ancestors bringing the African ancestors here as slaves, we would not get to enjoy the freedom of America. Because again, the largest slavery, the lar largest slave trade in the world is in Africa. It's still likely that we, are, we would be slaves today if no blacks were ever brought to America. So consider that. I'm not saying we owe them anything. Everything happens for a reason. But I'm saying we need to stop punishing them for something they didn't do. They owe us no reparations. So it's time to stop pushing reparations on white people. Because again, there were almost as many black slave owners as there were white slave owners. So if there's going to really be reparations, then there's going to be a lot of black people that should be paying too. And if we want to get reparations from who started slavery, we should be talking to Africa about that. Because if it weren't for Africa, we would never have had slavery in our bloodline. Then again, every culture out there has had slavery of some sort. White people have been slaves too. Do your history. Look in your history. You'll start seeing every culture out there has owned slaves at some point in time of their lives. Every culture has been slaves. The Persians are very, very dark-skinned individuals, or you can arguably say they're black. They were enslaving the Jews. They enslaved the Greeks. The Persian Empire was full of black people. They enslaved white people as well. So you want to look at history? Look at history. Don't just try to claim history and look at history when it, when it fits your perspective, when it fits your argument, when it fits your agenda. Learn the truth, and the truth will set you free from the delusions of the world. And if you live in a delusion, you're only putting yourself in a cage. I've met some incredibly amazing white people in my life that have been there for me and taught me things I never would have learned from my own community. And I'm telling you, I have learned, uh, I've learned bad things from people of the same race, and I've learned bad things from people of my race. Welcome back, Katie. Hey, thanks for having me back up. No problem. <laughs> so I agree with every, almost everything you've said okay. throughout this entire talk. I've just been having it on the background while I'm doing stuff. So thank you for doing it. It makes me feel less insane. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> the one thing that I talk, I go on uh, Ellen Southers show probably once a month. And if you don't know who she is, she's a pretty dark skinned black lady that was raised in Chicago in the 60s and 70s. and she has me on because she calls me quote her white girl that spits the truth <laughs> <laughs> and her and i talk a lot about how it's dangerous for me and her to have open honest conversations without worrying about offending each other and i was wondering if you could maybe give your thoughts or opinions on one i'd like to hear about how you got all of the information and the historical facts that you're talking about today, because I know for a fact that they're not available in almost every single public school across the nation. And so how did you come across like the actual history, not the um, abridged, to put it a nice way, history that most students are forced to quote unquote learn? 
And then if you could give your thoughts on how people can, of any race, it doesn't matter what your skin color is, how you can get outside of your own racial or ethnic um, echo chamber, for lack of a better term, and get get outside of Blacks have to learn history from Blacks and Whites have to learn history from Blacks and Whites. And everybody has to learn history from somebody that isn't necessarily uh, white, essentially. And just, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so how do you get outside of your own uh, echo chambers? Well, no matter for, what your race is, when you're looking at history specifically. So that's just kind of a question and a topic I wanted to kind of hear you talk about because you're talking the truth, like right on the nose, man. And I want to know how, like, I was homeschooled and I'm white, and that's how I know, like, most of this stuff. But how how did you learn it? How did you kind of break out of that? Because you said that your mom is a, uh, like, a social activist. Yeah, she's a civil rights and activist. Far from what I hear. Um, she's been attacked by the clan she was the only black girl in all white school so she she has lots of reasons to be racist but she um Mm -hmm. she actually received a letter after the ku klux klan marched and burned a cross on her house uh, on her lawn um she Mm -hmm. her like the news came and talked to her talked to her interviewed her family and stuff like that and they kind of covered the story and a white woman had seen the story and got her information and sent a letter to her and wrote and said, please don't think that all white people are like this. We're not. I promise you, there are mm-hmm. good and bad in every race. That letter changed my mom's life. And she was also raised largely by a, a white French woman who treated her as her own mm-hmm. daughter. And like, so she taught me not to see color. She taught me that the world is, there are racist people out there and that this is who you are. This is your culture. She taught me these things. So first and foremost, it's important to know who you are. And it's important Mm -hmm. to not let other people tell you who you are because other people don't have the right information about who you are because they don't know you. And uh, additionally, when we look at like one of the things that I learned about, um, uh, feel free to jump back on too when when the time runs out. Um, When we, we look at the Holocaust, the way we're taught in school is that we had no idea that the Holocaust was happening. We didn't know it was going to happen. We stayed, we wanted to yeah, stay okay. out of, yeah, we wanted to stay out of World War II until the Zimmerman letter came and they, and Germany was going to try to sneak in through Mexico and have Mexico uh, uh, ambush us from the south. And they were going to ambush us from both sides mm-hmm. of the port and take over America and then give Mexico back what America took back from them. And then also they kept hitting our ships. So that's what put us into the, the World War. But the fact is, is that we had intelligence. We knew that Hitler was going to do this. In fact, the um, Holocaust Memorial um, in Jerusalem has printed letters from uh, from the Pentagon showing that the uh, the White House and the Pentagon were very aware of what Hitler's attempts or uh, intentions were doing to the entire Jewish race as a genocide. But we don't learn that in school because school teaches that America is the hero. America is is Captain America, and you know we were all good moral people. There. Our history is covered in blood. Every country is. It's sad and it sucks. But in order to find the truth, we have to be willing to look for the truth, even if we disagree with it. And when I started looking at this, I I watched some documentaries and they started pointing me to information such as the U.S. Census. And I started noticing that there were, you know, slave owners that were black. And a very common reason, like there's some people that try to, um, there's some people that try to, uh, like, like sum up and say, oh, well, the reason why the only reason that blacks were slave owners was because 
um, the government had certain uh, certain uh, standards that in order to be a free person, be granted freedom, you had to fit certain criteria. And often when a person would purchase their freedom, they would fit that criteria and they'd be freed. But then their, their wife and kids would not fit that criteria, so they would not be granted freedom. So that black person would buy them as slaves, which that did happen. But there were many freedmen who also had, you know, try to employ other freedmen. But when they realized they weren't making any money, they're being eaten alive by the competition who were other farmers and cotton workers and field owners who had slaves. They had they had no payroll as opposed with, with the exception of only their slave overseers. They made so much more money. So in order to compete against them, they started doing the exact same thing. They also bought slaves. There's some really dark stuff that black slave owners were doing, like slave breeding. That was something that was looked mm -hmm. down upon by other slave owners that were white. But black slave owners were involved with slave breeding, and it was to right, keep it's essentially the... black eugenics. Exactly. Yeah. So I started yeah, learning about this stuff. About yeah, <laughs> I started learning about this stuff by looking to outside sources, out because the world, you know, has other information that at our government tends to suppress because they don't want to look like the bad guy. You know, who can blame them? You know, none of us want to look at the bad guy. We don't really want our, you know, our skeletons in the closet to be out in the living room when we have guests, you know? But like, I started finding actual documentation and started looking and seeing different parts of history and I started doing research. So when I hear an argument, like when people started saying Trump is racist, I started to research it for myself and I started seeing all these black people talking about, dude, before this man ran for office, this man actually helped me start my multi-million dollar, you know, small business up. He gave me a loan, and when I, I was ready to repay the loan, he told me, is this everything you owe me? And he said, yes, sir, it is. And he ripped up the check and said, go enjoy your business. Like, they don't talk about that stuff. I, I don't always and agree with I everything. Think he got, like, reward, awards from the NAACP on several occasions. I, I, I heard about that, and then I, when I researched it, he was a donor. He actually helped, but he didn't receive any awards. Um, I, I read, a, I saw a website saying he did. And then I, I looked into it a little deeper and found out that he, he did not. Nonetheless, Jesse Jackson, Al Sharpton, um, a lot of the Democrats, they were, they used to kiss his butt and praise him. And the WWE mm -hmm. praised him. Like every black celebrity out there has got pictures with Donald Trump. Man's a, a mm -hmm. massive celebrity. But when he became the president and they realized they couldn't buy him out like all the other politicians, they're like, how do we get the black community against him? Let's use the, the one word that you can control the black community with. Let's say he's racist. Because when you do that, our community turns against people. We have a history of doing that. Mm -hmm. In fact, Dr. Martin Luther King was a Republican. His dad was a Republican until he was pardoned by JFK, whose views were actually very much Republican. The mm -hmm. KKK was founded in 1916 by the Democratic Party. Like, there's lots of things that people don't do research on because they don't teach you this stuff in school because there's an agenda to make liberals. And when you go to school, uh, like colleges, if you have conservative views, they smut you out by yelling at you, uh, mm -hmm. like shouting you out. You can't have your own views, but colleges were created to create free thought. But now the atmosphere there is, your free thought has to be what I agree with. And if it's not, then you are homophobic, transphobic, bigoted, racist, and mm -hmm. you're a fascist. And the people yelling fascist and the loudest are the ones pushing fascist propaganda. So those yeah, are, those are the. Where I'm not totally sure if they know that that's what they're doing either. Like the ones at the top, absolutely, they're yeah. doing it on purpose. But like the the 
high school kids, the college students that like they went through the indoctrination for 12 years and then they went straight into college. I don't know if they know that they're the baddies. No, they don't. That's like, really how you get somebody to to destroy themselves is first make them believe that what they're doing is honorable. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the one thing I do also want to throw out there with the slavery conversation is that when the slaves were were emancipated and the civil war was over, they created the country, a country in Africa. I think it's Liberia. Yes. Um, that was specifically for the United States would pay for passage for any freed slave or black person in the United States that wanted to go back to Africa to be free in their native land. And when the government of Liberia was set up, it was set up as a slave state. They immately started enslaving native Africans. Yep. Absolutely. And that is something that the freed slaves from the United States went back to Africa and immediately set up a slave society. Exactly. And it's not because they didn't know better, because they did, because they themselves were the slaves here. So. Absolutely. Again, thank you so much for, for coming on and for, for sharing those things. And to answer your other questions, if I remember as well, I, I say hello in 28 languages, and I, I don't say that to boast. I say that because it's a way that I learn about other cultures. And if we want to open our minds, one of the most important things uh, one of the most important things to do is when you see someone from another culture, don't assume that they, they have any perspective against you. Go up and talk to them. Say hello. Like uh, earlier today when I went to, uh, to the supermarket, to, you know, I got a couple of groceries and um, there was this, this elderly Korean lady and she was, you know, she had a couple of things in, uh, in her hands. And I, I recognized, you know, the features of her face to be Korean. And um, it's just because of so many Koreans that I've seen, I'm able to you know, tell certain characteristics more than others. Um, the same thing with like Japanese, by listening to their dialect, I can detect a, a Japanese accent or a Korean accent by the way a person says certain words. I just, because of practice, because of being involved with that so much, I can, I can detect those things. So when this woman came up, she obviously looks at me and knows that I'm not Korean. Uh, she was standing behind me and I, I said hello to her and I, I said, Annyeonghaseyo. And she looked at me with kind of big eyes, which means hello. And, and then I, I motioned my, my hand to, for her to go in front of me. She goes, me? And I nodded my head, yes. And, and she goes in front of me. And, and then I said, kamsamida, which is like, thank you. And also, you're welcome. And she said, kamsamida, which, you know, it's, it's the same, like, thank you as well. She's like, thank you so much. And when she passed in front of me, we didn't say anything else after that. But now she has an experience with a non-Korean who addressed her in Korean with proper pronunciation. And she's like, wow, this person took the time to get to know those words. Now her perspective may have changed. Even if it was a little bit, her perspective changed. And then a Salvadorian gentleman came up and started talking to me and I started speaking to him in Spanish. And I, I speak almost fluent Spanish, even though I'm not Latino, but I love cultures. And that's, that is actually how I have come to understand various cultures so much is by reaching out to them in their own tongue and then asking them questions about their culture. The best sources to learn about a culture is the culture themselves. Sometimes the books don't have it right. A lot of the times books are written by people with an agenda to make money. <laughs> like think about all the books that are written against Trump. They all have, they all have an, uh, like an agenda to make money. Do you think Michael Cohen is gonna be honest about everything in his book? He has an agenda to make money. 
he's being offered lots of money and lots of contracts to write a book saying these things. So you have to really take things in with a grain of salt and really like be a skeptic about some things that you read. You have to ask yourself about the source. Is this source reliable? Is the source biased? I mean, if I want to read a book about Trump, it's probably best to come from a, an autobiography or somebody who has nothing to gain from writing this book. The source is probably going to be a better source. But if I'm writing someone who hates him, it's probably not going to be a reliable source. If I'm, write, if, reading, if I'm reading a book from his best friend, it's probably not going to be a reliable source because there's going to be some biases in there. So always, always look at the source and see if it's reliable. And if there is an agenda to suppress, oppress, or alter information found therein. Um, so look, look outside of America to find, you know, actual documents. And remember that you hear one side and you hear the other side in the middle is the truth. If you're reading about the Mexican-American War, look at Mexico's history too. Look at what Mexico says about that war. Don't just look at what America says about that war because you're only hearing one side. You want to get, you, you'll find more likely the truth the more you research reliable sources. America wasn't always the hero that we want to believe we were. And as a veteran, I really wish we were the hero. We kicked butt in our wars, yes. Except for Vietnam, even though that wasn't our war, we were just assisting someone else. But when we go to war, we go to war and we do a great job. Well, then again, you can't really do a great job at war. It's not an enjoyable experience. But we're very effective at making a point, making a statement. And when countries attacked us, we went over there and and set a tone. So with that being said, if anyone takes anything from this tonight or today, please do your best to stop seeing race and please do not tolerate racism even when it's against white people. Racism is racism. Racism is racism. There's no such thing as reverse racism. Racism is racism. Truth is truth. And as long as we are seeing um as long as we are seeing color and we are oppressing a race just because we feel it justified by it we're never going to grow hey matt welcome to the show hey thanks ross i i just tuned in but i like the topic in the last two minutes of what i heard and it it seems to me it's something that uh nobody has the balls to talk about or or say and and if you do uh you know you're gonna get you're gonna get canceled you're going to get blasted it's, it's so politically incorrect you know and uh you know personally personally and this is always like the you get attacked for even saying it. just you cannot even utter the words as because i'm happen to be a caucasian person I, i'm forbidden from ever saying this without getting a bunch of shit but i, I can't say i'm not a racist <laughs> yeah. Then, then it's like, no, no, you are, and, and you're being defensive, and you're a closet racist, and whatever. And then you, you, then you say some other stupid stuff, which happens to be true. And it's like, look, I've had black girlfriends, I've had Mexican girlfriends, I've had girlfriends from Nicaragua. I, I don't, I don't see race. I don't care about race. And if anything, I just to be honest. I kind of like dark skin, you know, it, it uh, but, but I like, all right. You know, I like the way you said that too. That's not, that's not all nice. I like that. You're like, you know, just be honest. I like dark skin yeah. too, you know? 
<laughs> I like some dark yeah. meat. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> on the other hand, man, some pale white skin, redhead, the blue eyes, oh, they, they kill me, man. So, you know, I, I don't see race. I don't see color. Now, I was lucky I grew up in Colorado, and and I'm telling you, for the most part, we don't have racism. And, and the people here, you know, I think it's a cultural thing. I think it's a historical thing. I get that. I think it gets passed on by generations and depending on countries and, and different stuff like that. And I, I really was kind of clueless about why everybody was so up in arms and had this big issue about racism because of where I grew up. But then um, I got, um, you know, I got my degree in computer science and I got a consulting job and we got to pick. It was a big company, so we got to pick of 40 branches across the United States where to go. So I picked North Carolina because I was really into scuba diving. So so I spent, you know, about a year, well, the whole two and a half years in North Carolina, I'd lived there. But the second, um, uh, basically, year, I was working and committing to South Carolina. So I spent some time in the Deep South, and let me tell you, that was an eye-opener. I was like, oh, holy shit, these are some racist people down here. Now I know what they're talking about. Right? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but the thing is, and, and Martin Luther King's a hero of mine. And, uh, you know, I I get chills up my spine, listen to his speeches, and I, just a hero of mine. And I always think back on what he said, you know, his I have a dream speech. You know, and it's like, you know, when our, when our, my little, you know, little boys and little girls can play on the playground and, and you know, and between the races and, and, and they don't see color and they don't see race. And, and he said, you know, there will be a day when a man is judged not by the color of his skin, but by the content of his character. Amen. And it's like, we're all just people, God darn it, you know, and... And so you, you probably shouldn't judge anybody, but if you're going to judge anybody, you judge them by the content of their character, right? Absolutely. And, and so I, I really, I, so here's the thing. Um, if I have a, a point that I wish people could think about and like deeply contemplate and, and like learn something from is like Martin Luther King was on to something that there has to be a day when we don't see race, we don't see color, we don't think about it. Okay, now here, here's what I think disturbs and perturbs me sometimes. The sort of a, a modern agenda and political correctness and a lot of things I hear people say is going in the opposite direction. They're like, they always you know, introduced, well, as a, you know, as a black man or as a, as a black woman, or uh, they say this phrase just kills me. It's like, well, uh, people. Oh, I lost you. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's definitely, it's definitely going in the wrong direction. People are, um, like they're bringing race to the forefront. Morgan Freeman did a, uh, did an interview, uh, with somebody and, they, they were saying, do you think that um, that racism is a really big part problem? He goes, no. He goes, how do we how do we deal with racism? He goes, stop talking about it. The only reason that people are paying attention to race right now is because you people like you keep talking about it. Stop talking about racism. It will dwindle away. 
We got people out. We got people like Kamala Harris saying, I'm the first black female vice president. Like, you're the first female president. Black has nothing to do with it. First of all, you never identified as black until you got sworn in. And like, secondly, so what? I don't care that you're black. Can you do the job? That's all that matters to me is when someone gets sworn in, can they do the job? That's it. Yeah, and, and, and it's, you know, not to diverge, but it puts a bit of like, uh, you know, as, as, a, as a black or, or let's say Hispanic transgender man, I, blah, blah, I don't care. I don't care what race you are or what you identify in your head with or, or what your sexual orientation is. I do not care. You're a person. I'm a person. We're all just people. And, and yeah, you hit the nail on the head. I, I've never heard that Morgan Freeman quote, so I appreciate that. But that's exactly it. That's exactly what I think. It's like the, the way to get over racism, stop talking about it. Stop thinking about it. Stop playing, you know, um, victim or making it special or different you're exacerbating the problem you're making it worse this is not what martin luther king talked about this is not the solution and and it's just it, it just creates more divisiveness and it creates more separation and it it makes it worse not better and i'm i'm not you know i'm a fairly intelligent guy but i'm not a freaking genius and uh and like, if I can figure this out, why why doesn't everybody else realize? You know, as as long as you keep bringing it up and talking about it, and making it like it's a big deal, well, that's a self fulfilling prophecy, and it, it's going to make it a big deal. And it's just like ignore it, don't talk about it. I mean, you know, if 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 I was of a different race, I would never utter words like, "Oh, well, I didn't see people that looked like." What, what the hell does that even mean? You know, and, it, it, and why is it important, you know, whether somebody looks like you or not? Well, you're making it important. It's supposed to be unimportant. If there's no, you know. Well, to, to that point, I think um, I like w I agree with what you're saying for, uh, to up until that point. I I will respectfully disagree on that point because we're social people. We like to see that we're not the only ones who look like this in our culture. So if you're in a room full of nothing but Latinos and you're a black person, you kind of like, yeah, you could be cool, but you do want to see someone else that looks like you. You want to know that you're not the only one. We're social beings. We like to know that we're not alone. No one, no one wants to actually be alone when you're in a society of people. Like if you go to Norway and you're the only black person walking around, everyone, you stand out because you don't look like the rest of them. So when you see somebody else who looks like you, it's not about making yourself important. It's about a sense of belonging. When we have like, no one wants to feel like the new kid or the outsider. So when we see someone who looks like us, we naturally flock to that person because we feel, okay, it's safe to be here. We're not alone. We're not an outsider. You know, it's, it's just that social need that we have in us. Like, it, like, let's say you're stuck on an island by yourself. If you're stuck on an island by yourself and there's no one there, all of a sudden you, you somehow find out that there was a, a plane that crashed and there's someone on the other side of the island. You're not going to just stay on, on your side of the island and be like, nope, they can have their side, I'll have my side. You're going to go do whatever it takes to find that other person so you can have a friend or so you can socialize with someone else who looks like you. 
like we're social beings that's the natural response to you know to being in a society or being in an environment we want to feel we want to feel in, included accepted or uh safe in the environment yeah well I, uh that's a good point and and i agree with you um i have something to add but my time's running out so if you want me to come back up i'm, I'm happy to do that i would love to continue on this conversation but my fiance is on her way back home and we have some plans to go out right now so i unfortunately i'm going to have to bring this to a close but um all of you guys thank you so much for for all the that participated for the points of view that were shared this is a subject that definitely is a very important one and i really i really encourage everyone to bring this out share this with other people help us stop seeing color dr martin Luther king did have a dream and today we can realize that dream and there are people out there trying to murder that dream in fact, Dr. Martin Luther King did not prepare that speech. The I Have a Dream speech was completely winged. In fact, he gave a, a speech right before that that nobody really remembered. And then someone reached out, or someone uh, shouted out from the back, like, hey, Dr. King, tell him about your dream. And he said, you want to hear about my dream? Yeah, tell, tell him about your dream, Dr. King. And everyone started yelling. He goes, I have a dream that was completely off the cuff, completely off the top of his head. That was an inspired speech. And for a long time, that dream was real and people are now trying to destroy it by focusing on race for all my beautiful black people out there listening you are not a victim you are not less fortunate because of the color of your skin you're not disadvantaged because of the color of your skin we are the number one consumers of luxury items we have the most luxury items out there yet we are the most impoverished excuse me, uh, the Native Americans and single mothers are the most impoverished, but Blacks as a culture, we happen to be right up there with them. How is that? If we can afford the majority of luxury items, why is it that we're so poor? If it's not because we're oppressed, it's because we're not managing our money as a people the way we could. And if we stop seeing race and start learning from people who don't look like us, We'll see why they're not impoverished. We can look at their cultures and see, oh, this is why they are actually some of the wealthiest cultures. This is what they do. Maybe if we start doing the same thing, it doesn't make, make you a sellout. It makes you smart. For all the white people out there listening, you're beautiful. Thank you so much for what you've given this country. Stop trying to convince other people that you are not racist. If you're not racist, you don't need to convince people that you are or you are not. Just show them who you are, and if they can't accept that, that's their loss, not yours. Don't apologize for being white. White is beautiful. Black is beautiful. If it weren't for black people, so much of the society would not be the amazing progress and beauty that it is. So many of the rights and privileges that we have would not be here if it weren't for blacks, whites, Latinos, Asians, and all other cultures contributing to it. The inventions that make our lives amazing and easier are because of all these different cultures contributing. Think each one of you. Don't apologize for the color of your skin and don't be ashamed of the color of your skin. That is an attribute. It is not your identity. There's a difference. Thank you so much. I know you guys could be anywhere you wanna be, but thank you so much for inviting me into your homes, into your hearts, into your cars, into your jobs, into your ears, and into your lives. 
please don't forget to follow and also don't forget to look up my other podcast episodes real talk with rj is available anywhere podcasts are available um thank you so much i look forward to the next podcast episode i only do these when i have the opportunity to do so because i don't want to take away time from being with my fiance. i love her she's my best friend and i don't ever want her to feel like she's second in my life she she supports me in this there's She's not like nagging me or anything to get off. This is my choice because she comes first in my life and I love her with all my heart. And I just really appreciate all of your support, your love, and go check out my other podcast episodes. Look them up on Amazon, Google, anywhere else. Until next time, this is Real Talk with RJ signing out.